0: My name is Pastor Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here. And contrary to what Pastor Dave said, I will not be signing any Amazon gift cards this week for you. Um, It's my privilege to open the Word of God uh, with us this morning. And um, me and my wife bought our first house about two years ago. And it wasn't long uh, for me to figure out that I had a problem. And my problem was this. I had a creep living in my backyard. It was hard to figure out exactly where this creep was coming from, and why he was there, and I was having a lot of difficulty trying to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do with this creep. He's the quiet type, as most creeps are, and if you're not paying much attention, you really don't know when he's there or what he's doing. But nobody likes a creep living in their backyard. So I did what every pastor here at Harvest does. When we have a problem here at our um, at our church, we call our security team. So I called the security team member over to my house. I called Anthony Gradeski. I said, Anthony, you got to get over to my house. You got to help me with this creep that's living in my backyard. So Anthony uh, came on over and uh, actually while he was there, he got a really good look at him and he, he walked up to him and he, he grabbed him and he, he ripped him and he, he took a big old sniff and he's like, oh I know who this creep is we got a picture of him, we're going to put it up on the screen that's Charlie that's Charlie, creeping Charlie now Charlie, he looks kind of pretty but in reality He's really quite pesky. He grows quickly. He chokes out your grass. He'll choke out your small plants. He'll choke out uh, your flowers. Uh, He is fast growing. And what makes Charlie such an incredible pain is that he is so hard to kill. You can pull the leaves, but the leaves really aren't the problem with Charlie. The problem with Charlie is his root system and how um, what is unseen is what's causing the problem that is seen. It's the root system that makes Charlie so hard to kill. Now, maybe you have creeping Charlie in your backyard, maybe you don't. Um, But the one thing uh, that is true of all of us is that we do have a creep living inside of us, and it's what the Bible calls our flesh. Our flesh, while disguising itself as our friend, is really a dreadful enemy. You fight creeping Charlie by exposing it to the sun and by applying chemicals, and uh, you fight the flesh in a very similar way by exposing it to the Son of God and with the application of God's word. James addresses the topic of the war within in James 4, 1 through 3, as we continue our journey through the book of James, learning how to deal with trials. In James 4, James shows us what the flesh, what my flesh, what your flesh, if left unchecked, what it will produce in our lives, in our families' lives, and in the life of our church. But he he also offers a solution. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's word together. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for Uh, your servant James and his words of clarity to us this morning, Lord. Lord, it's my prayer that uh, as we read these verses and see how we might apply them to our lives, Lord, that it would bear much good fruit in our lives. Help us to uh, recognize the war within and strengthen us to fight it. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. James 4. James 4, reading verse 1 through 3. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James um, introduces us to the fact that there is a war that's going on inside of you and inside of me. And if you've been a Christian for more than about uh, a month, You've probably come to the realization that living a life that is pleasing to God, bearing good and righteous fruit, uh, sometimes feels, oftentimes feels more like a war than it does a pleasure cruise. Uh, In the first seven verses of James chapter 4, James points out the three enemies that each and every one of us has to deal with. The first one is uh, the devil. He points the devil out in verse 7. Uh, In verse 4, he points out enemy number 2, that would be the world. And in verses 1 through 3, James addresses the enemy of the flesh. Each of these enemies is fighting against me and is fighting against you in an absolutely dreadful harmony. Satan uses the things of the world to tempt the desires of the flesh to get us to sin with the desired outcome, to steal, to kill, to destroy. To destroy you, to destroy those next to you, to destroy our church. James points out three reasons in these few verses why to win the war within. The first reason why, you can jot this down in your bulletins, I must win the war within because my flesh will get me fighting. I must win the war within because my flesh will get me fighting. The churches that James is writing to, they are fighting, and we don't really know uh, why Uh, they're quarreling. Uh, We don't know exactly what about, but our best guess is that uh, those in the church are trying to fight over uh, power or prestige or position within the church. It's possible that they are fighting over the possessions that other people have, but the one thing that is clear is that there are violent verbal disputes going on in these churches that James is writing to. Uh, Those that were leading the charge in these fights were likely unsaved, rich, wealthy, unbelievers that had infiltrated their way into the church. So they look really good. They've got the possessions. They've got the power. They're rich. So these other believers are probably looking up to them, and they are imitating their behavior because they are the powerful of the world. The next thing you know, in these churches, we've got voices raised. There's yelling going on. We've got fists made. We've got teeth clenched and they are fighting with one another. Good old-fashioned malice and slander that is so prevalent in the world but has no place in the church. James makes it clear where these fights are coming from. He says, your passions are at war within you. What James is saying is that wars that are fought on the outside result from losing the war On the inside. Ugly fruit comes from an ugly root. Quarreling in your life, in your family, in the marketplace, in our church, these wars that we see, they don't start on the outside, they start on the inside. And James is making it clear that these fights and these quarrels among believers are out of place. So it's an invitation to ask yourself a question this morning. How are your relationships with other believers? How are your relationships with other believers? Are there frequent fights in your marriage? Are there frequent fights in your family? Are there frequent fights... On your ministry teams, heaven forbid, are there frequent fights that are occurring within your small group? Teenagers, are there frequent fights with your parents? Is the life that you are living, is it filled with frequent fights? Because James wants to make clear where these fights are coming from. These frequent fights, they come when the flesh is fed instead of when the flesh is fought. I've told our youth group a very simple rule over the years. Um, I came to this conclusion when I was studying Philippians 2 a few years ago. I was thinking, I was like, okay, can a fight exist outside of the presence of sin? And I've continually asked myself that question. Um, Whenever there's a fight, Is there sin? And the answer I've come to is yes. I tell the students, I says, wherever there is fighting, there will be sin. No fight has ever existed outside the presence of sin. If you find yourself in a fight, whether it's you that are sinning or whether it's the other person that is sinning, someone is sinning. And if we want to stop the fighting in our lives, we have to win the war within The second reason to win the war within is this. My flesh will get me frustrated. My flesh will get me frustrated. Those in the church that James is writing to that is causing these fights and quarrels, James makes clear that they are not getting what they want. We see it right there in the passage in verse 2. It says they do not have. And later on in verse 2 it says they cannot obtain. And he says it again in verse 2. You do not have. And even in verse 3 he says you do not receive. They're scheming but they're not receiving. They're increasingly frustrated instead of being increasingly fulfilled. Whether they're after power or possessions, whatever they are after, by not winning the war within, they are not getting what They want. Now, I'm a fisherman, and I decided that I would uh, bring my fishing pole uh, to church this morning. And uh, every fisherman has stories, right? Every fisherman has stories. And this is uh, my favorite lure uh, that I have. I contend that it is the best lure that exists it is the Hedden Baby Torpedo and it works uh, very, very well uh, for catching smallmouth bass. So I uh, had this lure once, and I was going fishing on my favorite river with one of my brothers, and I decided to give it a cast. We really hadn't caught much that day, so I gave it a cast. And the fun thing about this lure is that it stays on top of the water. So when the fish comes out, it literally comes out of the water after the lure, which makes it completely fun and exciting. So you twitch the lure like this, and you twitch the lure, and all of a sudden, boom, I got one. And I set the hook, and I start reeling it in and reeling it in and reeling it in. And uh, it's weird. Smallmouth bass are known for their fight. They fight really, really hard. But this thing is like, it's going this way, it's, then it's going that way, but it, it's, it's not really doing well. And then I realized what happened. What happened was, I am the world's greatest fisherman with the world's greatest lure, because I have a picture for you, this is what took place. Oh. Two fish, one cast. Wow. A much younger me. <laughs> you know, it just hit me. Pastor Ryan has never caught a fish in his entire life. So now I can actually say, even when he catches what I can say, I've caught more than that in one cast, man. (laughs) But you know, fishermen are also known for their lies. Now, you have no idea. Maybe I caught one, threw it in the boat, and then I caught the other, and I I threw them. I was prepared for you to say, well, prove that you caught both of those in the same lure. So we have another picture. You know, you always have to establish proof. There they are. I have no idea what fish hit it first. All I know is that one fish hit it, and then the other fish wanted the lure. Now, I mean, is that tasty? Does that look like it will result in a fish's pleasure? Or a fish's pain? Do those fish look like they're enjoying themselves? One fish had what the other fish wanted and it wasn't even actually a good thing. It wasn't even a good thing for the fish. One fish wanted what the other one had and it didn't turn out very well for either one of them. We have another picture of them sitting in the net together. Do they look happy to you? Are those (laughs) fulfilled fish? We got one more. I mean, look. Look at what has happened to those fish. I've caught very few spirit-led fish. Most fish are, are feeding their flesh. But when we are jealous and when we are envious about what someone else already has, and the problem with believers is that sometimes we decide that we're going to get jealous on what unbelievers have. We get jealous wanting something that will harm us. And where that ends, when you don't win the war within, where it ends, it ends with you frustrated. I must win the war within or I will be frustrated. Now I released both fish. I don't have a picture of that. But I released both fish And they swam off and they were doing just fine. Uh, But life uh, isn't, fishermen, I'm not always that kind. Um, But um, life also isn't always that kind when we get engaged in fights like this. Those fish didn't die. But in James' day, apparently uh, people were dying. And that's because of this. You can jot this third reason down. Uh, My flesh will get me furious. I must win the war within because my flesh will get me furious. Have you ever been hopping mad? I mean, really mad? I mean, using words like hate? Maybe even using words like kill or a variety of other four-letter words that you may use when you get upset? That is a sure sign that you are losing the war within. James points out in this text an escalation. First, there is a quarrel. Then, there is a fight. But, he accelerates it in verse 2. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. James's use of the word murder here has puzzled those that have studied this book. Some say that it's uh, figurative in the sense that hate equals murder. Other times, uh, you find a scholar that takes it more literally. Um, those that take it literally, they look at James chapter 5, verse 5 or 5 and 6, where James is um, scalding the rich of the church and says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered. The righteous person. Because of the self indulgence, the jealousy, and the rabid materialism of the early church, people were probably losing their lives. James says, just in the previous chapter, James 3, verse 16, he says, uh, Where jealousy and where selfish ambition exist, there you will find every vile practice. Now, whether or not this is an actual murder that's taking place in the church or whether it's figurative murder, uh, we can't be 100% sure, but we really do not have to look too far into our own world to see that where selfish ambition and jealousy exist, that there you will find every vile practice. The hedonistic life, the life that's lived with the mantra, I'll do what I want, when I want How I want to get what I want that ends in death. That ends in death. Our society is pretty self worshiping, pretty hedonistic, pretty do what feels good, and what is the result? I looked up some statistics uh, this week. Just in Chicago last year, 2015, um, we just fell 12 short of there being 3,000 shootings. 3,000 shootings. About one out of every six of those resulted in a death. This year is no different. As of Tuesday of this last week, we were uh, halfway to last year's with 1,574 shootings that have occurred. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, Chicago? Is it not the passions that wage war within you? Zooming out from the city of Chicago, we can look at our nation. And uh, if you look at about the last decade or so, on average, there are approximately 1 million abortions that take place in the United States every year. Why? When asked why they are choosing to end the life Of the unborn, three out of every four that are asked say that they are having an abortion because it would interfere with work or school. Half of them that say that they are seeking an abortion say it is because they are having relational issues, they are having quarrels and fights with the other partner. And they don't want to be a single parent. What is true in James' day about uh, selfishness causing people dying is equally, if not more, true in our day. But this uh, sermon isn't for Chicago. This sermon isn't for the United States. This sermon is for me and it's for you to recognize that if we don't win the war within ourselves, that the outcome can be death. Our flesh, when it is unchecked, will bear some furious fruit. So a life of fighting, a life of frustration, a life of fury is what is produced by losing the war within our flesh. But what if we don't want to live this way? What if we don't want to live lives where we are always fighting with one another and where we are always frustrated and when we are getting increasingly furious? Is there hope? Is there hope of not living lives like this? Is there hope of winning the war within? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, there is hope for winning that war. There is hope for living a life of peace and contentment with one another. And James gives us the way to do this. At the end of verse 2, he says, you do not have. Because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What's the answer? How can we win the war within? James just gives us one simple word ask. You have to ask if you want to win. The war within. So here's three ways that we can win the war within. You can write them down. I can win the war within if I ask, first of all, if I ask the Son to save me. I can win the war within if I ask the Son to save me. When you're talking about the flesh, the passage that uh, comes to my mind... Uh, is in Galatians 5. I invite you to turn with me to uh, Galatians 5. It's just a few books back. We're switching authors from the Apostle James to the Apostle Paul. Paul in Galatians 5, he talks about uh, the battle within and how uh, there is the Holy Spirit that is, that is at work within us as well as the flesh I'm just going to start reading in verse 19 Galatians 5:19 Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are 15 acts of the flesh, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago, uh, reading through this, that as I read through the acts of the flesh, I was like, how many of these are about fighting. You know, I'm the the youth pastor, right? I, I, I I taught junior high for nine years. I mean, you see a decent amount of fighting and quarreling when you teach junior high for nine years. I have my own kids that are fighting. You look around, you see all of this fighting, and I personally was pretty blown away when I looked in Galatians 5, and I realized that there are 15 acts that Paul describes here Four of them on sexual immorality, one of them on drunkenness, two of them on idolatry, but by far the most, actually over half of them, eight, eight out of the 15 are on some form of quarreling or fighting. Quarreling and fighting amongst church members is no small deal to God. This is an invitation for each of us to examine our lives. Is your life defined by a pattern of conflict, by a pattern of quarreling, by a pattern of fighting? Do you find fighting with your spouse and fighting with your family and fighting at work And fighting in the church. Everywhere you go is the common denominator, you, in the fights. Because if it is, if your life is characterized by fights, the entire New Testament... Whether it be James saying, faith without works is dead. Or whether it be Paul saying, I warn you as I warned you before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or whether it be the Lord Jesus Christ himself who says, by their fruits you will know them. The entire New Testament is very clear. If you are living a life that is characterized by fights, at best, There's a big, bold, black question mark over your salvation. If you want to win the war within, you must ask the Son to save you. The one that does not believe in the Son has only the flesh and the fruit that the flesh produces. And without a life-changing, soul-saving, behavior-altering encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of His Holy Spirit, all of us, have absolutely no chance whatsoever at winning the war within with our flesh. Without trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're get, you're, you are getting in the ring with an opponent that will knock you out every time. Without a saving relationship with Jesus Christ—you don't even have on the gloves. Now I've never boxed before. The closest I've ever gotten to boxing was when I was a small child and I had the original Nintendo, and I got this game. It's a legendary game. It's Mike Tyson's Punch Out. <laughs> Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Now you have to fight like twelve guys to get to Mike Tyson. There's a cheat code for it, and. Um, you know, the interesting thing is I was searching the internet for this this week. I found videos of people that had defeated Mike Tyson, but I couldn't find anybody that was proud uh, to put a video on of them being knocked out by Mike Tyson because that is the experience you have when you go to Mike Tyson's punch-out. There is little Mac, and when he turns purple, he is about to go down. So Tyson just it takes about one or two punches, and you are knocked out cold. The majority of the fights that you have with Mike Tyson and like this, he is sitting there pumping his bicep up and down and the little Mario the ref comes out and goes not out T-K-O fight over that's what happens if you decide to get into the ring and fight your flesh without a life saving relationship with Jesus Christ Paul makes clear later on in the same passage, he says in verse 24, he says, And those that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But if Jesus Christ is not your Savior and Lord, your flesh is not crucified. It is walking the streets of your heart and it is alive and well and it will be bearing ugly fruit everywhere in your life. Step one to winning the war within is asking the Son to save you. Step two, you can jot this down. I can win the war within if I ask the Spirit to lead me. Every day we make a lot of decisions whether or not we will be led by the flesh or whether we will be led by the Spirit. And being led by the flesh is easy. You just have to do what you want. For me, it's not, it's not hard to live in the flesh. It's not hard for me to look at someone else's house and be somewhat jealous or somewhat envious about what God has decided in his sovereignty to give to someone else but not to me. It's not very hard for me to look at a newer, nicer, bigger truck and want that instead of what I have. Being led by the flesh comes naturally. But being led by the flesh ends poorly. James says in chapter 1 verse 14, he says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James says that desire leads to sin, sin leads to death, and we find the same pattern in chapter 4. You desire, you covet, you kill. Desire, sin, death. In order to avoid the death, we must avoid the sin. In order to avoid the sin, we must correct the desire. But the problem with that is that the desires live within our heart. All of us stand in need of spiritual heart surgeries. As I do the work of, of a pastor here at Harvest Palace I get to go into hospitals, and sometimes there have been open heart surgeries in this church and sometimes I am invited into homes and um, quite honestly I, I think it's almost easier on a pastor when there's need of a physical heart surgery rather than a spiritual heart surgery the spiritual heart surgery are the ones that are the hardest to do and cause the most pain but there is a spiritual heart surgeon available. There's only one spiritual heart surgeon available, and his name is the Holy Spirit. So how do you live the Spirit-led life? Do you just say it? Do you just say the words, Holy Spirit, lead me? Perhaps, but I, uh, I tend to believe that the Spirit-led life closely resembles the iPhone-led life. Um, in order to live the uh, iPhone-led life, if you want... Uh, this thing to get your attention, um, you've got to turn it on. First of all, a a dead phone won't get your attention much and you've got to turn on the vibrate and then you've got to turn up the volume and you've got to go into your settings and you've got to get all notifications on so that as you go through your day, uh, this phone can send you notification after notification after notification after notification and it can get control of you and influence your day. The Spirit Is the same way, but you've got to turn up the volume. You've got to make sure that you're getting your notifications. And this book, the Bible, is what the Spirit feeds on. To live the Spirit-led life, you have to live the Bible-led life. When you turn on your notifications on your iPhone, the way you do that with the Holy Spirit is you memorize God's Word so that as you go through the day... The Holy Spirit can get your attention and lead you with Scripture. The Holy Spirit that leads is the Holy Spirit that feeds. And this is spirit food. Obedience to this book is spirit food. You want the spirit to be strong. You want the flesh to be weak. You have to feed the spirit with God's Word. You study God's Word so you can make sure that you have a, a clear connection to exactly what God says, if you want to win the war within, you've got to ask the Spirit to lead you. And yes, you can can pray that prayer. You can pray that prayer, but I find that in my life, to be Spirit-led, the best thing I can do is read, study, and memorize God's Word. You can win the war within, but you have to ask the Spirit to lead you. And lastly... Lastly, I can win the war within if I ask the Father to provide for me. I can win the war within if I ask the Father to provide for me. What if you don't have what you want? What if you've wanted something for such a long time and you're like, I don't have what I want? Have you asked? James 1, verse 5 says to ask God for wisdom. James 1, verse 17 says that God is a good and unchanging Father that is ready to give you good and perfect gifts from above. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Ask. Have you asked? Have you asked? Jesus said, Ask and it shall be given. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those that ask Him? You do not have because you do not ask. Have you asked your loving, heavenly Father to provide for you? Have you asked? Or are you relying on yourself? and the envy and jealousy of trying to get what you do not have. The problem with a prayerless life isn't the fact that you haven't checked the spiritual discipline box. The problem with a prayerless life is that you don't go to small group and you're like, oh, I forgot to pray today. The problem with a prayerless life is a distorted view of God. I was convicted of this myself uh, this, this past week, uh, just, just Wednesday. Wednesday was a, a long day. Wednesday was a, a frustrating day. Wednesday was a day where um, a little anxiety crept in. A little fear crept in. And pretty much it carried all the way through the day. And I got up Thursday morning and I was like, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm done. I'm done relying on myself for what I need. So I, I spent a long time with the Lord on Thursday morning. And I opened up his word and I read it slowly. And as Pastor Ryan and, and um, a seminary professor of mine that I have, I, I, I took out my prayer journal and I started to write And write honestly to the Lord. Saying, Lord, this is what I do not have. And this is what I need in this day. And I am done relying on myself to have it. You'd think I'd have this figured out by now, right? But Thursday was a great day. (laughs) Thursday was a great day. I came home with a whole different attitude on Thursday than I had on Wednesday. And why? It's because I asked. And what what I had lost sight of was not God's greatness. What I had lost sight of was God's goodness. We don't believe God is good. And that's what shuts down our prayer life. We think that God doesn't want to give us good gifts. So have you asked your perfect and loving Father to satisfy the desires of your heart. Now there are still some that may say, "Yes, yes I have. As a matter of fact, uh, I've been asking God for the same thing every week. And I've I've actually been asking God for this for a month, and there are probably others of you that have been asking God for something for an entire year. And there are probably others of you that have been asking God for something for a decade or maybe even decades. And so, as I say God is good and wants to give you gifts, you're like, well, what gives? I've asked. One solution may be this. James says, you ask and you did not receive because you asked wrongly to spend it on your passions. God, because he is a loving father, cannot give you, cannot give me everything that we ask for. I think that I've learned uh, at least a little uh, about God as a father since I became uh, a father. I'm now a father of three, uh, all three of them sinners. Um, <laughs> the youngest one might be a real handful. But uh, I have a vision for my kids, right? As as their dad, I have a vision for my kids, and I want them to go places and... and uh, be certain types of people. And uh, because of that, I cannot give them everything that they want. I mean, Noel would have a straight diet of popsicles and fudge pops consistently. (laughs) Every meal, this is what she would have. I mean, Levi would so gladly take his scooter and ride it out directly into the street. Dad, can I ride my scooter on the street? No, 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 you can't do that. Uh, Micah, the third one, that's, that's really the handful, because if, if he got to do what he wants, he, he would eat rocks, he would eat dirt, and he would play with lit grills. <laughs> I'm, I can't let him do that. I can't give him that gift, because I love them. I love them. I have a vision for their life. And it would go against my vision to give them everything that they want. So I want to close uh, this morning just with a story. Um, it's about five years ago. Uh, it was 2011. And me and my wife uh, were living out in Indiana. And uh, I had I had a job. And Heather had just... Uh, Heather was pregnant with Noelle, our first. And uh, life... Uh, life wasn't great. Life wasn't great. We had a, um, we had a neighbor in a condo association that was trying to, uh, they were threatening to evict us because we were going to break the occupancy laws by having a child of our condo. So that was a little frustrating, especially as um, being the head of that household. Uh, it's my responsibility to, to provide uh, for my wife and for my children. And I had Uh, Feelings of inadequacy in terms of I'm I'm not able to give them um, what they need. Uh, We had saved up uh, because Heather was going to stay home with the kids. We had saved up a decent amount in our savings account by uh, working pretty hard and uh, watching that savings account just drop drop and drop and drop and drop and drop by the month. I was increasingly uh, frustrated with my job. I was a, a teacher, and I, I loved to teach, but there were uh, elements of my job that were um, actually bringing me to the point of tears, and I'm not a big crier. I'm not a big crier, but it was hard. Life was hard, and um, every year uh, since my wife and I got married, we pretty much had the same thing that we wanted. We wanted to get out of this condo. We wanted to get, we're not city people. We really wanted to get out of the city. uh, This fishing pole spends, you know, most days it is up in my garage and I just look at it on my way out of work. And so I'm, we're praying like, Lord, can you get us out of here? Lord, can you get us out of here? We want to be near my family in, in Minnesota. We want to be near Heather's family in Iowa. We really don't care. Whichever one you want to give. And I'm applying to jobs in both states and the doors are closing and closing decisively. No interviews. No nothing. And we're looking outside and we're just like, we want that. We want that. Lord, why aren't you giving it to us? Lord, why aren't you giving it to us? And so one day I decided um, that, I, that I needed to have it out with the Lord. And so I, I closed the door of uh, the bedroom, or one bedroom, and I, I laid down on the floor. I can picture exactly where I was. I laid down on the floor and I'm like, all right, Lord. I'm really going to just let it out. But by the grace of God, I had one rule uh, for what I had to ask from the Lord, and and that's that every request I wanted to make of the Lord, none of them could be selfish. None of them could be selfish. Uh, That cut down on my list dramatically. (laughs) All of a sudden, your, your state preference... You can't ask the Lord for that. You can, but you can't ask confidently. And I was in a place where I needed to ask confidently. So I I sat down and I, I, I wrote it out. It was February 8th of 2011. I said, Lord, two. I was left with two requests that I could ask of the Lord. The first one was this. I wish to make a significant impact in this world for your name. Number two. I desire for my wife to be able to be at home raising the children that you entrust to us. And it's a little weird five years later to be standing on a stage giving a sermon to a church that I always loved dearly and still do. Even in the midst of wanting to get out, it was, it was heart-wrenching to go, but what about those people at Harvest Palos? We just love our church. Three kids, wife at home. I think I'm I'm trying to make an eternal impact for the Lord. I keep that prayer uh, framed in my office and it reminds me that God is good. It reminds me that God is good and it reminds me that God is able to give good gifts to me that are in line with his heart. So my challenge uh, for you this morning is is the same as James. James's challenge to you is ask. Ask. And so I want you this week, uh, especially if you are uh, frustrated and if you're getting furious and if you're fighting, I want you to do the same thing. I challenge you to do the same thing that I did with the Lord five years ago. And I challenge you to get by yourself, take out a pen, take out a piece of paper, and I want you to Write down requests from the Lord with the one rule that you can't ask for anything that is completely selfish. And keep it in your Bible. I'm glad I did, or I wouldn't have had this this morning. Ask. Ask God to give you the desires of your heart that are in line with the de- desires of His. Ask God to give you good gifts for your glory. And as a church, let Harvest Palis not be known for its fighting. Let Harvest Palace be known for its peace. Let Harvest Palis be known for its prayer. Let's pray.